Hello and welcome to episode 246 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story is similar to many we've covered on this podcast since November 2016. Someone with everything to live for and a group looking for trouble. It really is a terrible case. But before we get to the story, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, especially those new members of this exclusive club. That is Alison Brown, James Bancroft and Tanya. Thank you so much for your support. This episode is brought to you by Relief Band. As someone who gets terribly car sick, Relief Band has really helped me these last few weeks when I've had to make a number of trips as a passenger and I've been fine in the car. It has also helped me avoid seasickness, even on those days when the swell has been really bad. It's good news, Relief Band really works. Relief Band is the number one FDA cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy and so much more. It's 100% drug-free, non-drowsy and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. So just how does this work? It's actually so simple. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that causes nausea. Then it blocks the signal that your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you are sick. So if you're getting ready for a long car or boat or air journey this summer, Or maybe you're having to start to commute to your place of work a little more now. Whatever the reason, the good news is that Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for UK true crime listeners. If you go to reliefband.co.uk and use the promo code TRUECRIME, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F band.co.uk and use our promo code TRUECRIME for 20% off plus free shipping. Okay, it's that time again. Let's quickly set some context for the story today with our guest of the month and year game. Are you ready? Number one in the UK was Adele with Someone Like You. You may have heard of it. In the US, the top spot was Born This Way from Lady Gaga. And in Australia, The top album was Draft with The Life of Riley. Nope, not that one. In the news this month, a gunman in the Netherlands murdered five people and injured many others in a mall before taking his own life. Game of Thrones premiered on HBO. Were you a fan? It was a sad day for serious journalism as the Daily and Sunday Sport entered administration. And Prince William, the Duke of Cambridge, and Catherine Middleton married in Westminster Abbey. And finally, in UK true crime news, police investigating the murder of Sean O'Callaghan identified human remains found at a second site as those of Swindon woman Becky Godden Edwards, who was last seen alive in 2002 at the age of 20. Of course, it was later shown that she was murdered by Christopher Halliwell. Did you get the month and year? It was the 2nd of April, 2011. Let's get on with today's story from Stepney and East London, which is in the area of Tower Hamlets, enclosed by Commercial Road and Mile End Road, if you know the area. In 1911, what is known as the Siege of Sydney Street 
also known as the Battle of Stepney, occurred here when two Latvian anarchists, wanted for the murder of three policemen in Houndsditch, died in a house fire during an armed assault commanded by Winston Churchill. In April 2011, Kaushar Hussain was 24. He was a hard-working graphic printer who had been married to his wife Shana for 18 months and lived a very straightforward life. He was working hard, fun, laughter, he was kind and caring and very close with his wider family and well-known in the tight-knit local Bangladeshi community. His parents had moved to London from Bangladesh before he was born in the hope of providing more opportunities for their children. Although his dad spoke very little English, he integrated well into the community and he worked hard in a number of low-paid manual jobs to provide all that he could for his family. He was a great role model for them. His mum too was a very strong woman with a clear moral compass who knew very clearly the difference between right and wrong and taught this to her children. Her free time she spent carrying out voluntary work with disadvantaged children. Kalshar was one of four children, all brought up to respect the laws of the UK and their Muslim faith. They didn't drink, believe in sex before marriage, and they were well behaved and disciplined. The evenings were the special times when the whole family would sit together over dinner, discussing their day, what they'd been up to, and more importantly their dreams and their plans for the future. Kalsha's parents encouraged all their children to dream and to believe that they could achieve whatever they wanted to do as with hard work, nothing was impossible. Saturday the 2nd of April 2011 was a day to be looked forward to in many parts of the Asian community in Stepney as it was the day of the World Cup cricket final when India were going to be playing Sri Lanka. Later in the day, Kalsha's brother-in-law and some friends sat in his car as they ate pizza just a few streets from Kalshar's home. It was a relatively quiet area, but out of seemingly nowhere, a couple of the local thugs appeared. 22-year-old Robert Lawrence and 25-year-old Jonathan Joseph Bell, they were drunk and they were looking for trouble. I know some people think that you shouldn't say that victims of crime were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But to me, that exactly sums up the situation faced by Kalsha's brother-in-law and his pals that day. Lawrence and Bell saw the men as easy prey and they set about attacking them. They pulled their beards and threatened them with violence, including saying they were going to stab them. The men were genuinely concerned for their lives. After all, Ben and Lawrence were powerfully built units. But Kalsha's brother-in-law, Shabir, eventually managed to drive away and to escape the scene. But Shabir was understandably shaken by the attack. And later that evening, he'd been due to pick up his wife and his three children from a family gathering. But he was concerned, I mean really concerned, that the louts from earlier might still be about. And if they saw his car again, they could launch another onslaught. Kalshar understood and he thought it'd be safer all round if he and his wife Shana took the car to pick up the family. But first they needed to stop off at Shabir's house to pick up the car seats for the little ones. What he didn't know is that the two thugs from earlier had been joined by Lawrence's brother, Anthony Fraser, and another man, Liam Whitnell. 
They'd enjoyed their sport earlier in the evening and they were lying in wait for Shabir to return. Kausha's sister, Amirun, joined Shabir, her brother and sister-in-law for the trip and she later described to the Mail newspaper what happened next. She said, Shabir came out into the street to help get the car seats and I just remember hearing some boys running. There were four of them. Shabir ran off and was unhurt. I don't think my brother thought anything would happen to him because he hadn't been involved in the earlier attack, so he just stood there. He was standing with his hands up. The next thing, he was on the floor. Witnesses later said they heard a really loud scream. One said he heard a man scream like he'd never heard before, like he was in the worst pain ever. I don't remember that. I think I was in shock. I just saw two guys on my brother attacking him. Then the third came back and was banging on the door of the car I was in, trying to get in. Luckily, the door was locked. I was really scared, but all I could think was, where's my brother? What's happening? I didn't know they had weapons. The third man joined the other two, but somehow my brother managed to get up. He ran past the car, stopped, tripped up a little and turned towards the car. He was just turning around to face in my direction. I know my brother was looking at me and Shana, his wife. I know he was thinking, I can't leave them. That's when one of them with a knife stabbed him. The attackers ran off and despite being seriously injured, Kalshar crawled towards the car. We were screaming and crying because they had a knife, but I thought he'd only been stabbed once. I thought, he'll be fine. We can drive to the hospital. After opening the car door, I could see the blood coming from his head. Kalshar said, call the ambulance, and then he just dropped. My hands were shaking so much I couldn't actually dial. I remember screaming, I need to call, I need to call. I couldn't believe this was actually happening. By now local residents were on the streets, which was fortunate as Amirun was in shock to such an extent that she wasn't even able to tell the operator where they were, despite knowing the area well. One of the local residents, seeing her obvious distress, helped her make the call. Amirun takes up the story again of what happened next, she said. All the time he was saying, God is great, God is great. I was screaming, stop praying, you don't need to pray, you're not dying. After he had said, there's only one God, he stopped talking. I remember turning around and I saw his shoes on the ground beside the car seat he dropped. They must have come off when he was trying to get away. He was running in his socks. That was terribly hard for me to take. After what felt like an eternity for the emergency services to arrive, the depth of the injuries suffered by her brother only became clear to Amirun when the paramedics began to remove his clothes. She continued, I can now see four or more stab wounds in his chest. I was in total shock. Every minute the terror became worse and worse. They put him on a stretcher to take him to the ambulance. When they lifted him up, I saw his arm drop and his head drop. That's when I knew he wasn't there. It was just his body. He'd gone. I screamed and screamed. He had indeed suffered terrible injuries. He'd suffered nine stab wounds across his body including his head. There were wounds on his chest and back, one in his buttock, one in his leg, 
another that went right through his hand and even one in his toe. Kaushal was rushed to the Royal London Hospital, where doctors desperately tried to save his life. Meanwhile, Amirun and her mum and dad were taken by police to the hospital, where they could only wait to hear news. And then when it finally came, it was the news they'd been dreading. Amirun recalled, We waited a couple of hours, and then the doctor came out and said, We tried to open up his chest to get his heart started again, but we're sorry, we couldn't start it. He's passed away. Mum just dropped to the floor. My sister-in-law, who was also at the hospital, was crying and I was in shock. I looked towards my dad, sitting there silently, holding onto his chest. I asked if he was okay, but the doctor said he needed a bed immediately. My father was trying to stay strong for the whole family, but he was having a heart attack. Luckily, he recovered. But the family went through the terrible practical aspects needed when a family member has been murdered. There were interviews with detectives and viewing the body of the deceased. Amirun spoke of her experience viewing her brother's body, saying, My brother had a kind of smile on his face. They told us they had put makeup on him, so we looked more like the Kausha we knew. The funeral took place straight after the autopsy had finished. So many of the guests who had attended Kausha's wedding a day of such joy just 18 months ago, now gathered unbelievably for his funeral. Amirun's only memory of the funeral is tears and sobbing. The men responsible weren't the sharpest knives in the box, to say the very least. They lived locally, had been seen by numerous witnesses, and were soon rounded up by the police. And just over half a year after the murder, they were facing a jury at the Old Bailey. Brothers Anthony Fraser, aged 33, and Bobby Lawrence, 22, were jailed for life, with minimum terms of 26 years each. Jonathan Joseph Bell, aged 25, and the getaway driver, Liam Whitnell, aged 28, were each given life sentences, with 24-year minimum terms. The old Bailey judge said the attackers knew that Koshua had not been involved in the early incident, but he was killed anyway. He said, This is another street stabbing of an innocent man who was mindlessly murdered in revenge on account of a trivial incident in which the deceased played no part whatsoever. The lead detective from the Homicide and Serious Crime Command said, His attackers left him for dead in the street. He was an entirely innocent bystander. Talking later about giving evidence at the trial, Amirun spoke about her experience saying, They gave us the option of being behind a screen so that Whitnell and the gang couldn't see us, but I wanted to be visible. I also wanted to see what they looked like. They were just smirking, staring at me. There was no contrition. The family has been destroyed by what has happened to Kausha. His mum always wants to go to the cemetery to see her son, but the family have to try to stop her, as when she has been she is so distraught that she can barely talk for weeks. She's just a shadow of her former self, that strong woman that brought up four children. His dad tries to be strong for the family, but of course he is suffering too. In 2014, one of the murderers, Liam Whitnell, made the front page of the papers. For his 31st birthday, he was seen celebrating in his cell at Wandsworth Prison, saying, Who says prison is hard? 
He uploaded pictures on Facebook of his superhero-style birthday cake, a takeaway kebab, ginger beer and blocks of cannabis. He claimed the cake was a surprise from his fellow convicts, calling it birthday cake from Du Bois. Seeing the pictures, nothing could be a greater contrast than the smirking Whitnell and his victim Kausher, who lies dead in a grave where his mum can't even really visit him without being absolutely struck with grief. His sister Amirun, too, was appalled understandably, telling the Mail newspaper, how dare he have an Avengers cake, like he's some sort of hero. Why does he deserve that? What they did to my brother is worse than what happens to animals being slaughtered. When Kausha was taken from us, I consoled myself for the knowledge that his murderers were at least sentenced to life in jail. I thought they were getting what they deserved. But you imagine they are locked up for hours with nothing to do but reflect on the evil they've done and why they are inside. I thought they would miss their families and feel what we are feeling, the pain of not being able to be with people you love. My brother loved to play computer games, but he can't play them anymore. Instead, he's lying in a cemetery. That's where we will be on his birthday. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Such a sad story. We've heard similar on this podcast so many times before. Young men out to cause trouble and inflict violence on others for no reason. Just because they want to experience violence. Because it's fun. And then once they've completed their act, they show no remorse. And they show a total lack of respect towards the family, even in court after they've had all this time to reflect on their actions. It makes you sick to the core, doesn't it? So here's the thing. I've always thought that we are roughly all the same. But stories like this show just how wrong and naive that belief is. Those four don't belong in a society where they can cause such terrible damage to so many people. But enough of these four. We may feel some sympathy for their families, who will have no doubt felt horror at what their family members are capable of. But as for the murderers themselves, let's not spare any more of our time on them. They aren't worth our time. I'm left with the feeling that we can't fail to be moved by the opportunities taken from Kausha. He would never have the opportunity to see his own children be born or celebrate his own birthday or special events or those that happen to those closest to him. And why? For what? Such a tragic, tragic, pointless, pointless murder. And one that for his family and friends will always be impossible to understand. And everywhere we look, more pointless killings like this. How about Dogen Ishmael, December 2012? 17 years old, a pupil at Woolworth Academy. A 15-year-old was convicted of his murder. After a jury found him guilty of stabbing 17-year-old Dogen, who had challenged him over the theft of a mobile phone. The mobile phone belonging to the younger brother of Dogen had been stolen a couple of days before and the brothers went back to try and get it back. They were told where they could find the phone, but meanwhile, the murderer came out from a flat with a huge knife and he stabbed Dogen in the chest and Dogen was pronounced dead at the scene. I usually avoid the police chief's comments, but after the murderer was sent to prison, I think this is 
Well, to me, it's, it's quite poignant. He said, We welcome the sentence that had been handed down today. This was an appalling and violent attack on a promising A-level student who was simply seeking the return of his brother's mobile phone. Dogen paid the ultimate price for daring to face up to the thieves, while his brother had to endure the tragedy of watching him die in front of his eyes. One can scarcely imagine the heartbreak suffered by Dogen's family. The murderer did all he could to evade capture in the weeks following the attack until he realised there was nowhere left to run. He will now spend a significant amount of time behind bars for the callous crime that he has committed. But you can look online now, you can find 50, 100, 150 such crimes. Stabbings. For no reason, no motive really. Just pointless, pointless attacks. Tell me, when is it ever going to stop? How does it stop? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group where you can find over 70,000 of us. And to support this show and catch all the bonus episodes, just head to patreon.com slash UK true crime. All for as little as £1 per month, everyone's a winner. So that's all for me for this week. If you haven't bought your ticket yet for CrimeCon in September in London, tickets are running out. So if you're going to buy them, please do it now using the code UKTC for your discount. You can pay in three instalments. And hey, I'll even buy you a drink at the event and give you a copy of my book on Angus Sinclair Gone Fishing. After all, no one else is buying it. Or maybe it'd be more of an incentive if I did neither of those things. Anyway on that huge crime event bombshell, that is all for me for yet another week. So until we speak again next time, please do take it easy, and despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now.